Content warning. Sexual assault and rape. I'm squeezing some balls right now, actually. Stress balls. <laughs> wow. Fake lesbian, your gold star status is removed. I was just a lesbian for the views. It didn't work, so I have to go back to being straight. This is my natural state. <laughs> your, your, your straight oh voice my sounds God. Good from your lesbian voice, Morgan. Oh my God, guys. It turns out I'm actually straight, but I was oh pretending to be gay. So anyway, this week we watched... <laughs> I'm sorry, Grandpa. where our conflicting recollection of events serves to undermine the stories we watch and our reviews of them. I'm your host, Morgan, and joining me is the outcome of a really clumsy sword fight. Luke Skywalker. Manny. Yeah, Manny Luke Skywalker. (laughs) That is his full name if you weren't already aware. And the baby abandoned at the town gates. Wah, wah, Keanu, wah. Wow, Keanu. <laughs> wow, Keanu. Uh, in hindsight, I want to switch. I would love to be the baby band in the town gates. You gotta do the baby noises. Alright, do, right. do the baby noises. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, you made the cutest baby noise. Perfect. Perfect. Alright. Oh Keanu, you gotta do the swordman noise. Huh. <sighs> Oh, he laughs a lot in the movie. I forgot he laughs so much in the movie. It's a new month, which means a new month of films and a brand new theme. It's July to me. Films featuring unreliable narrators as a framing and story device. This week, we watched the 1950 Akira Kurosawa film Rashomon. For a quick summary... The rape of a woman and the murder of her husband is retold from four different perspectives, with each version serving to show the narrator in the best light. While the conflicting stories threaten to shatter a priest's belief in humanity, the kindness of a stranger helps him to imagine a brighter future. So, let's start things off with the plot. What did you guys think of Rashomon's story and its execution of said story? I'm going to repeat what we said last time. It was weird. And confusing. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that was kind of the point, right? Like, it was meant to be, like, non-linear kind of storytelling events, and I appreciated that. Yeah, Manny, what did you think of the the plot of going in, since you you and I went into this blind? Wait, we all went into this blind, didn't we? Yeah, I had never seen this movie before, even though I'd always wanted to, because it's considered such a, a great film. Uh, but it was the subject matter that, that kept me away from it. So I use this as an excuse to force myself to watch it. Hmm. Which, understandable. Um, obviously, content warning here. This film, you know, does include sexual assault. That being said, it is one of the less gory scenes yeah, I've ever seen. Explicit. Uh, with sex 
with sexual assault, with rape in a film. A lot of times with rape in films, I have to like physically turn away because it makes me sick. Like for instance, Boys Don't Cry had to skip through it because I was like starting to cry. Um, but Rashomon, they do a really good job of just implying it, which is kind of nice because we know what happened, but you don't have to see it. No one has to see that. Um, which brings me to a few things. I know we're focusing on the plot of Rashomon right now, but I just got to get out of the way. I actually really like the pacing in this film. I really like the way it was done. Oh my God. For such an old film, oh, wow. I just felt like, damn, this is really good. I really enjoyed Rashomon. Um, and plot-wise, I also really enjoyed that. I love the way that, you know, we're, we see the same story told in four different perspectives. It's really fun, and it sort of um, gives you a holistic picture of what's going on, because obviously people interpret events, and they retell events in different ways, and that's the whole point of the film. I really enjoyed it, and I thought the story was interesting enough that, like, even if it was just told in one way, it would have been a great film, but told in those four different ways and being such a progenitor of like the idea of nonlinear storytelling in film. I think Rashomon probably is worth the hype. No, I was joking, but I wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah. Uh, the, the way this film is, is framed is incredibly interesting. This idea of mm-hmm. how everyone is trying to kind of uh, serve themselves in the best light when they have to go before this judge and, and explain what happened. Even the husband who, who is dead, who was brought back by a, by a, like a, a shaman or something to speak through. Uh, even, even they, even he lied and such to try to show himself in a in a better light even though he was dead because his memory lives on and it still matters to him and the, and the way it's framed with uh kind of showing you each version starting with the bandit and then the uh the woman who was raped's perspective and then the dead husband's perspective and then finally the uh the most you think the most unbiased perspective of the witness the the woodcutter and even he left out some details because he stole the dagger at the end in order to, I assume, probably to sell to feed his family because he does have six and now seven children. His seventh child. That's a lot of kids. That's a lot of kids. Well, for him, like you said, I already have six kids. What difference does one more make? I'm a like, lot? Oh, a lot, man. I don't know. That's a whole other kid. I said that. I, I I like I physically out loud said that to Katie. I was like, that would make a big difference. Yeah, we did. You know. Yeah. Did we all say that out it loud does. when that scene came up? None of us have kids, but we all think plot that. Hole. <laughs> I mean, like, biggest plot hole in this oh film. They, they, all of them were doing something to embellish or to de-enhance, enhance uh, certain things about the fights or. The things that happened. The only things that really were agreed upon was that there was a rape that occurred and someone was jacking some other shit. But everything else was all kind of not common. In terms of the sword fighting, the combat, I think it's very true to form that a lot of people tend to embellish the idea of like what warriors are like. Because, yeah, people are trained. But there's also people who call themselves samurais or call themselves knights and aren't good. At fighting. There's a lot of people who are amateur fighters. Even I think back in um back in the before times, I think there's people who were like, Yeah, I'm a great fighter, but really didn't know how to fight. And so I think that's probably what this is. I mean, it's interesting to see each person and and kind of the the story they tell is essentially 
the way they think they will come off the best. It, like that's that's kind of their story. So for the for the bandit, that's the way he sees himself or wants to see himself and wants others to see himself. I'm a badass bandit and like I'm super honorable too. Like uh, that was like his self-serving story, which with the woodcutter story, you have to assume is probably the most unbiased because what does he have to gain of making others look bad? It's, it's everyone's mind is kind of on themselves. How do I make myself look better? Making these guys look good or bad doesn't change the way people view me. I'm just looking at it. The only part of the story worth embellishing for him is the stealing of the dagger. Because that's the part where he's he's stealing. No, I'd have to disagree with that a little bit. Because I think sometimes people yeah, just tend to over-underhype things naturally. People you know, are like, oh man, shit was crazy. Or people are like, man, it wasn't even that cool. It was kind of whatever. You know, it's just sort of the way that you interpret things. Because the world is seen through your unique perspective. And you'll always have those things there. And so I think, like, yeah, maybe he thought... Maybe he could have seen him and been like, oh man, that was whack, whatever. But, like, you know, in reality, it was normal. Because sometimes things are just, you know, they're not amazing. So you understate how impressive it was. It's still, the fight probably wasn't as cool as the bandit said. Because we got a witness saying it was bad. And we have a bandit saying my fight was great. So we can kind of take these two sides from the person Mm -hmm. that watched the fight and was like, it was lame. And the person that was in the fight and said it was great. And and we can kind of skew it more in favor. It was probably a lame fight. I would agree with that. Uh, Keanu? The wife also had, like, didn't really bring up, I'm sorry. Uh, the wife didn't really bring up the fight at all either, though. So we can't really no, confirm that either. It. Yeah, exactly. And, and, I, and that's another thing. I'm surprised that in her version, she, I guess because in all the other versions, the fight was instigated because she asked for it. And she right. probably didn't want to see... She probably didn't want to come off that way as asking for that fight to take place. Everyone else's version has her begging for the fight. And in her version, no, the bandit left. I was weeping. My husband stared at me with such loathing that I passed out. Mm -hmm. And then he was just dead when I woke up. Like, that's the best way she can make herself look. I didn't ask them to fight. I was overcome with grief. And my husband killed himself, maybe, while I was passed out. I thought it was implied that she killed him, though. Like she, she made a lunging motion with her with her knife. That seemed like the implications that she was giving. But why would she want to tell people that she killed her husband? Yeah, that is the wildest part for me. Like, why would she do that? And I, I, I just thought it was because like she felt, she felt grief that she was raped, and she felt responsible for her own horribleness. Like she wanted to be pure, and she wasn't because of. What was ha- what good happened to her and such? I feel like maybe she thought it was atonement. She didn't seem kind of uh, what's the word for? She didn't seem. I don't know. Maybe she just she was acting. She's acting within the acting, Rashomon within Rashomon. It is a lot more tasteful that I mentioned. I think about now. Like there is a lot of fucked up shit that happened in this movie, but it didn't feel fucked up. It was very tasteful, as y'all y'all were mentioning before. By the way, yeah, like Manny said earlier, like you're saying now. Um, in terms of what they're showing us, it's not gut-wrenching. They cut away. They There's just, like, one moment where you even have to see a kiss. And, like, even that, most of the time, they cut away to kind of show the symbolism of the light fading from the trees. Oh. Um, so all of that right. was really nice. 
obviously there is the element of everyone's kind of agreement that the rape is the woman's fault and now she's tainted and undesirable and oh. everyone can kind of cast her aside. Uh, kind of the dialogue and discussion of it afterwards is is upsetting in, in that sense. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a cultural thing and I guess a thing of the times, but it's definitely, <laughs> while it's, I'm really glad we didn't have to see a rape happen four times over, it it is upsetting to see everyone's treatment of of her afterwards is pretty universally consistent throughout every version, which is which is sad to see. Yeah, it really speaks to the times that uh, they all were just accepting of or had to live through at the times. Oh man. Yeah. Well, Kate, my uh, longtime partner, actually mentioned, uh, actually made note of that specifically that. Everyone in that movie is just like such a sexist prick. Like at least the three main characters there with the samurai, um, the bandit, and also the wife. She herself is like subjecting herself to this societal idea of, you know, like I'm not pure anymore. So like either I go with him or I go with you. But like it has to be only one. His whole reasoning is she was beautiful. So I mean, I, I had to have her just because she was walking by on her horse and he blamed it on the wind. He said, no one would have been murdered that day if, if it hadn't been for the wind, because the wind blew open oh, kind yeah. of the veil over her face, and then he saw her. He then he puts the blame on something else completely. Like, the blame is not on him inside being a murderer and a rapist. The blame is, well, of course, it's not his fault for wanting to rape her because she's beautiful. The fault is for her beauty being shown to him, not for his reaction to her beauty. And we take, we take the blame away from someone's reaction to seeing something and put the blame on the fact that it was shown to them. And it shouldn't be like, it shouldn't be like girls at school shouldn't have to be punished for wearing uh, spaghetti strap uh, tank tops because they're showing their shoulders to men. The men or the people that are, are lusting after it should be at blame or not necessarily lusting. I guess you can lust silently, but for reacting in a in a bad way, uh, they they should be put at blame for for then reacting in such a way. It's the reaction, not like something being put in front of you that should be put uh, at the forefront of blame. I'm gonna go ahead and do a little PSA there to just be like, being horny is so perfectly okay and natural. But like the second you take that step into being like. My, you know, my desire outweighs what somebody else deserves in terms of respect or just general self-determination of their life or anything like that. You're being a monster, so fuck that. You can be horny, go jerk off, go find someone who wants to have consensual sex, but, like, anytime you step into, like, any situation in which you're taking someone's ability to choose away from them, that's not just you being horny, that's just you being a dick. I actually wanted to ask one more question about this, like tangentially, since I think we've all covered very greatly that this is a horrible act that the bandit mm-hmm. was performing and the samurai was abetting to. Did did the bandit get actually sent to jail? Was he punished at all for either of his crimes? Yeah, I mean, he yeah. said in the beginning, "I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna." Be ch- I'm going to be charged for this, so uh, that's why I'm going to be completely honest as he proceeds to lie. I think it's implying <laughs> that, mm-hmm. like, he is, yes. We presume he's locked up in some way or death penalty or something. But I think the fact that they didn't even bring that up after the fact, I think that means something a bit more sinister 
at least in that in that tangent at least for the the story at that point i don't know if i'd agree with that keanu i think it's just there was no point to bring it up anymore it's just like it's obvious that he's a horrible person but i think that's keanu's point is that the the movie's not framed around justice for the rape the rape is just used mm. as a portion of the storytelling oh, okay yeah which is a larger that. telling of the story as a whole that it, it doesn't really frame frame it in a way that like mm. for america western audiences we would really want to see like if an act like this was performed we would want to see full justice and we want the moral at the end to be don't rape yeah so i think it's an interesting point that you raise that you know we have this western perspective of we want to see justice, quotation marks included in there, where it's like, we want to see people punished for the crimes that they do. But also, I think it goes on to sort of um, talk about our perspective of what justice is, because I think ultimately there is a rehabilitative aspect to justice sometimes. Americans and Western society really like that whole eye for an eye idea. We want to see people be punished. Whereas obviously in this film, that's not the that's not the point of the film. The p- point of the film is just to look at different perspectives on the same story. Let's uh, let's talk about the theme of this film, uh, oh, kind of the yes. the prevalent kind of uh, idea or kind of symbolism, whatever that you kind of see flowing throughout the story. What did you guys kind of get the most from this film? Uh, people are ass, and also people are not to be trusted. Trust no one, not even yourself. Yeah, that, that, I think that's like. The one that everyone should take away from this film. Uh, I guess. I guess the the biggest thing that I took away was this idea that the 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 objective truth is obscured by the folly of a of a human lens. Uh, so this idea where there is no objective truth as long as a as a human is is saying it. Because no matter what, mm. whether it's a self-serving interest or your own personal bias and filters, you're gonna take what you see, and it's going to it's gonna kind of come out com- like obscured by your own personal bi- biases, one way or another. Which I guess, yeah. which I guess, goes into uh, the people can't be trusted motif. <laughs> there is no real sub- there is no real objective way to take from this. So then, what is the lesson we take from it? Don't trust anyone at all because that's the lesson interpretation the lesson is there is no objectivity well i would disagree i i did have a a, i did have a secondary a secondary theme that i got based on how the based on the framing of the story being told and the that priest's journey of uh of going through like not being able to trust humanity to kind of feel finding a glimmer Mm. of hope at the end Where morality (laughs) transcends objectivity, or essentially, moral intentions don't need to be overshadowed by immoral actions or perceived immoral actions. The baby, I yeah yeah the baby. You know, I I focus so long on the the big thing of you know the unreliable narrators that it that is the big takeaway at the end of the film. It ends on the priest being like, "Yeah, you restore a little bit of my hope," Mm -hmm. which is just to say that. Things are complicated. People have their own perspectives and opinions and their own uh, motivations to drive them. And so you might interpret something as being like, oh, this person's terrible, but like, you know, they're just doing what they need to do to be a fucking human being at the end of the day. Um, And so, yeah, that's that's a really good takeaway. 
two. I'm sorry, Grandpa. You lied to me, unreliable narrators. Uh, it's yeah. time for I'm sorry, Gamepa. Uh, this time we're gonna do a little bit of a <laughs> of a murder mystery for you guys. Uh, I'm going to tell a tale, and you guys have to decide who who the murderer is based on everyone's very honest, you know, uh, recounting of of events. Clue style. Yeah. In the good old United States, we celebrated July Fourth this past Sunday. For the Gaman family, it meant an intimate party with their loved ones. Husband and father, Aaron Gaman, barbecued while wife and mother, Tandy, hosted. Their twin daughters, Lily and Dolores, partied all night having just turned 21. Their older brother, Duncan, tried fruitlessly to keep the girls in check. Around noon the next day, Aaron Gaman was found dead in the yard. He had been watering the plants when he was stabbed in the back several times with a machete. When interviewed, the neighbors heard several arguments that had broken out the Gamond residence over the course of the night. Husband and wife were heard rehashing an old argument over whether their oldest son, Duncan, was really Aaron's or, con- or conceived by a fair. The wife insisted, while in tears, that Duncan was his, but Aaron sounded dismissive and hostile. He kept asking for a divorce. Meanwhile, the daughters had gotten so drunk that they revealed to their brother a family secret. The lion's share of their father's wealth wealth would go to the twins upon his death. It led to an explosive encounter between Duncan and his father that ended in a physical altercation. In the end, every member of the Gaman family went to bed unhappy that night. When interviewed by police Hmm. for their alibis, the family gave these. The eldest son, Duncan, says he could not have murdered his father. He left in anger after the party and stayed at a friend's house. He didn't return home until after the body was discovered. The police deemed his motive as revenge. His father never treated him like family, and the will was the final nail in his coffin. The twins, Lily and Dolores, were so drunk that they passed out in the basement and didn't wake up until the police arrived. They claimed they don't even remember the night before, but they were together the whole time. The police deemed their motive as greed. Killing their father meant the distribution of his will and would stop any future changes from limiting their wealth. The wife, Tandy, left early in the morning to run errands. She bought groceries, picked up a package from the post office, and got a pedicure. The, pol- the police deemed her motive as pride. She would rather be a widow than a divorcee, and if it turned out that Duncan was not the husband's son, she would not want that information revealed. Before the police solved this case, do you know who murdered Aaron Gamond? Like, of course, all of them have motive, but who has the least amount of motive? Or who has the least amount of ways and means of doing it? Yeah, no, this is, this is a tough one. I'm going to go ahead and just take a stab at the dark. I was just going to guess the twins. Right. That's how, I thought that was the most suspect thing. They were both drunk. That's So us. they don't yeah. remember. Yeah. Okay. You think uh, Lily and Dolores murdered their father for, for the money. Now that Duncan knew and they, and they feared that the will would change. I'm going to go with, Tan, with Tanny, Tandy. Tandy the wife? She seems she has a too easy of an alibi to fabricate. She didn't have any witnesses mm-hmm. when she would go to the grocery store, right? All she needs is a receipt. I feel like that can be doctored. Mm-hmm. Um, the son easily could have been verified to be like, yeah, I was at my friend's house. Exactly. And such and such. But friends lie too, so that's the thing. All right. So then we got the twins or Tandy. So if it's Duncan, you both lose. Fuck. <laughs> Again. But if you're ready for the answer. Yeah. I'm it ready. was the wife, Tandy. Oh, yes. 
She would be able to claim her husband's entire estate and begin a public relationship with her lover and true father of Duncan. The police were able to realize that the post office is closed on the Monday after when July 4th falls on a Sunday. So oh. her saying that she went to the post office was an oh absolute my lie. fucking God. I fucking got it. I fucking got it. <laughs> Jesus. Let's finally win a Morgan game. Finally win a Morgan game. You did. The answer was in there. It That's why there. I had to tell you it was in the United States because it only works that way. I don't know if other countries work the same way, but the truth was out there. All right, so let's get back to, to Rashomon. Um, before we get into, into the final thoughts, since this is July to me, Unreliable Narrators, I just want to discuss briefly kind of um, how this movie used Unreliable, because we did talk about it a bit in, in, over the course of the plot and the story, but how do you guys think the use of Unreliable Narrators as a framing device, how do you think it influences the story? Do you think it heightened the, the film or do you think it would have been better without it? I'm, I, the whole movie's basis is built upon the whole unreliable narrator thing, right? Like, that's yes. the point of the movie. I don't think you could take it away and you'd have a, any better movie. It would just become like a, a crime procedural movie, which isn't bad, mm-hmm. mind you, but the, the movie relies on that as a twist. It would be like a Columbo episode because Columbo <laughs> episodes don't rely on the whodunit, but rather how will he solve it mm-hmm. kind of twist. This is it, uh-huh. a different kind of a story. But uh, yeah, I wonder then, is the conceit then, is the unreliable narrator a bad trope then? Is it a good thing yeah. to examine a lot of over time? Not just the, the fact that it exists itself, but in multiple movies. Yes, exactly. Do you think it's a gimmicky trope or do you think it has merit? Do you think this movie using this trope showed you something or told you a story in a way that opened your mind that didn't feel like a a trick or whatever? I don't think it was unnecessary or a gimmick. And I think it's still fresh even after 70 years after it's been made, honestly. There's a reason why this is... Kurosawa's films have been so influential, and this is the fact that this re- re- uses a, a form of reliable narration. Unreliable narration is important because I think film as a whole is unreliable in its own way. You can only tell the story you want to tell, but it's always going to be subjective in its own way. It, it I feel like it has a wider meta, like thing to say about film in general. Yes, I 100% agree. <laughs> I I had this exact same discussion with Jasmine over something completely different. Oh, wow. Uh, Holy shit. Almost exactly that, where there was, I, I guess, no spoilers for what it was, but essentially there was this uh, this game I was playing that a lot of people didn't like, uh, and they were complaining about how they were... They basically said, oh, the creator of this game is trying to manipulate us into liking this character because they're doing this, this, and this when you play on this person's route. And they're doing this, this, and this on this person's route. So they're trying to manipulate the way they, we feel about these characters. And I was like, yeah, that's literally what storytelling is. That's literally storytelling. <laughs> you manipulate what? someone into feeling a certain way. That's literally 
how stories work, you dumb piece of shit. You're complaining that they're doing these framing things in a way to manipulate you to feel something about these characters. That's exactly the, that's the point of stories. You're being manipulated to feel a certain way to come to certain conclusions about these characters through the, through the theme. That's literally what storytelling is. I, uh, Jasmine was reading the tweet to me. I don't think she was expecting me to, to, <laughs> Go off to like be that. as explosive in my annoyance <laughs> as I was. She got a whole long uh, talking to from me. And she's like, I'm just reading this tweet someone said. And I'm like, no, they're stupid. They don't understand what storytelling is. Oh, my God. You just shit on this random tweet. Every time I read her something and she'll just randomly be like, that's fucking dumb. I actually go ahead and rec- I, I agree with both of you guys right now about uh, how, like, yeah, this film is, it's not gimmicky. It's good with this. It uses storytelling, frames it in a way to, <laughs> to showcase exactly. uh, certain things and make us feel a certain way. And I think it does that well. Yeah. No. And I mean, like, it's like Yanni was saying earlier, though, like, um, without these multiple perspectives, it would be a much simpler story. But, yeah, all you get is more with the added perspectives. You don't get confusing. You don't get gimmicks. You just get more of a general idea of what's going on. So I, I enjoy it. And it's like, I also said it earlier in the very beginning of the podcast. I think this is a really well-done film. I think it's paced really well. I think the way the director, this is probably one of the most impressive uh, bits of directing that I have in all of the I'm Sorry Grandpa podcast. Damn, that's high praise for many. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Which, yeah, if you want to get to the ratings at any time, I am ready to give my rating. Yeah, let's now find... That's, let's bring this right into final thoughts. Manny, final thoughts on the film. Give us your rating. <laughs> it's 10. Damn. Damn. This, film was a, from a 10. this film was a 10 for Damn. me. Damn. This film is a 10 for me. It is a amazing (laughs) film. It's, um, I think anyone who is at all into cinema in any deeper kind of way should watch the shit out of this film. I think it's very interesting. And I mean, the fact that they're one of the first people to use that whole idea of an unreliable narrator, like, wow, they just use it so well right off the bat. And the pacing is so good. It doesn't feel like a film that was made in the 1950s. It feels like a film that could have been made like last year. Which, for those of you who are unaware, it is the year of our Lord 2021. Um, so last year would have been the year of our Lord 2020. Um, it it was really good. Yeah. It's a 10 for me. There is nothing about this yeah, film. And, that I don't and it was such a and it was such a low budget film too, and they really they really utilized God. that budget so well. Everything. The the filming is just so good. It doesn't feel low budget at all. It doesn't feel campy or anything. It just feels so professionally well done. There's the acting is good. The directing is good. The writing is good. Like there is nothing about this film that I think is bad in any way. <laughs> Keanu, what are you, what are your thoughts following following that high praise? I want to also expand on that. Uh, I, I always try to like make sure we include a bit of like camera work and photography and. Mm-hmm. Uh, that stuff because it may not be the thing I'm most knowledgeable of, but I always try to appreciate it because, mm-hmm. you know, film is a, is a visual medium, and I think Kurosawa really nails the shit out of everything we like about directing, at least. 
he has very engaging mm-hmm. stills and frames. He doesn't just use like a still frame for whatever reason. There's always something important to reveal while we stay on a scene or we he uses a dolly film to shift and move the composition of the the shot there. It it always comes out amazing. And it, it makes me want to watch more of his films. Um hopefully yeah. one with less uh concerning topics of course as we we talked about earlier. <laughs> but yeah, this is a really great film. I'm not even going to give it a score cuz I don't think I I have to justify a score for it. Just check it out if you're willing to uh forgo all the scary stuff. Yeah. And and going off your uh kind of talking about the the filmmaking stuff, I also want to add I really liked the um <laughs> the final battle scene, the samurai battle. I really liked Oh yeah. How silent it was actually. I I liked the mm. lack of sound and music, especially in that scene. It really felt stifling it really felt <laughs> like it, it also almost makes you nervous like you yourself are like they don't want to fight and like i almost don't want to watch them fight because of how quiet it is right now it's unsettling um there's a lot of great moments like that in the movie i'll give it a uh, three out of four weirdly drawn on eyebrows <laughs> they were not drawn on what the fuck are you kidding me uh, those were not real eyebrows <laughs> Keanu, none of the female, none of the women in this film oh. had real eyebrows. I thought you, t- I thought you were talking about um the bandit and the samurai. Oh, no, no, the two women in this film, like they they painted their over their eyebrows and then just like put a little bit of like paint <laughs> to give their eyebrows. Uh, they had the they had I think that was the style back then. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, um the shrine maidens kind of look to them and the the the, the fuck Nadeshko Yamato uh, look. That's very popular back then. That was Rashomon. I think. Uh, I think uh, it was a good film overall. Yeah. Again, I was worried about watching it because of the content mm-hmm. warning, uh, the content of the film. But it uh, it job. was it was good. I think it, it handled yeah. it well, considering it was a film from the nineteen fifties. I thought it was going to be way more explicit and way more just gross, but overall good. Yeah, man. Uh, so. Next uh, next week for July to me, what are we watching, <sighs> Manny? All right. So I've had a tough time struggling with this. Because on one hand, you know, there's the classics. There's, you know, Sasha Kose, <clears throat> Tyler Durden, all that bullshit. But on the other hand, we could watch... What the movie. fuck are you doing with your so, voice? What do you mean, Keanu? It's just how I sound. Like, all the time. Fucking seven days a week. <laughs> 52 weeks a year, bitch. <clears throat> 12 uh, months yeah, in a fucking year. 10 years in a fucking decade. 11 years in 11 years. Anyway. Yeah, man. <laughs> Alright, so what, so what movie are we watching? This bitch just said 11 years in 11 years. <laughs> anyways, uh, I believe. So, anyways. As I was saying, I had a real hard time struggling to like figure out the film. On the one hand, we have the classics, we have Sizer Kose, we got uh, Tyler Duran, but then we got some weird shit. Sizer Kose. And so I think just mm-hmm. for a, a weird and yeah. a, a good in between of like popular films, but also something that I haven't seen yet, we're going to do the Leonardo DiCaprio classic, Shutter Island. 
Ah, yeah, okay. Oh, no. But yeah, okay, cool. So that was that was Rashomon, and next week we'll be back for Shutter Island, a Leonardo DiCaprio Shutter film. That might Island. be our first Leonardo DiCaprio film, too. Oh. And our first Scorsese as well. So Two firsts. Interesting choices. So this was, uh, this was I'm Sorry Grandpa and July to me. We'll see you, <laughs> see you around, or maybe we won't. Who knows? I'm not reliable. I'm sorry, Grandpa. You know you're a redneck when you uh you lie to your grandpa. Take you take that marble right up that asshole, and you grandpa. stick it down. Sorry. Why are we doing this, man? Why are we doing this deep ass podcast? Are you okay? I, I legitimately think you're dying. <laughs> of uh like this film's kind of critical acclaim it did win the uh the highest prestige award at the 1951 venice film festival um and its commercial and critical success is what actually opened uh western film markets for the first time to just japanese cinema uh which in turn led to a lot of international recognition for other japanese filmmakers so uh rushman however you feel about it is the reason we now have weebs in America.